Hi, Jubilee. Welcome. Glad that you're with us um, this weekend. Just a quick, uh, really good news uh, announcement. Uh, if you are unaware of it, we've got the green light to begin meeting again. Now, I recognize that uh, between where we are and being all the way back is, is a pretty good gap. But uh, for those of you who fall into this place, you feel comfortable being in a group right now. You're not compromised in any way, shape, or form, and I'll let you decide what it means to be compromised. And um, the weekend services uh, work for your schedule. We want to invite you to begin participating. We, um, we are right now uh, under the necessity of keeping the meetings to 175 people. We can't go over that. And I know some people feel like it's a violation of our religious freedom. I feel this way that I need to obey the Lord and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but I need to honor the authorities that are placed above us. The Bible says both of those things. And our witness to the world and even to each other is how well we do those two things together. So I do not consider it to be a violation of our freedom. I'm grateful that in the middle of a terrible situation that we all find ourselves in, they are finding ways to allow businesses, churches, and events to be able to come back and be together and to move forward. So because of that, we do have a few rules. Hate to use that word when it comes to church, but there are a few rules right now. And the easiest way for you to find out what they are and how to participate on the weekend is to go to our website, jfc.org, and everything that you need to know can be found there. The most significant is that because each service has a limited scope and capacity, we need you to register for a particular service. Now remember, it's only temporary. This is not permanent. It's not the new way that we're going to be doing church. It's just for now. So I appreciate your grace, your mercy. Uh, I appreciate um, your, your, your help in this, your cooperation in this. And I just look forward to the opportunity to be able to meet in person again. And as always, what you are experiencing right now, because if you're watching this, you're watching it online, we will continue to uh, put together and to have, uh, for the time being, this type of, of, um, of online presence. And then as things begin to redevelop and go back into more of a normal flow, we'll begin to stream the services live again. I anticipate that probably in the next four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, somewhere in that uh, place, maybe a little bit less than that. We'll have to see how things kind of unwind in front of us. But bottom line, man, great to be able to announce this, and we are excited for it. Okay, going to wind up our series on If Money Could Talk. I want to say uh, thank you for your response. Thank you for the overwhelming encouragement that I have received uh, for the message for those of you right now that God has already begun to speak to, your response has been life-giving and encouraging to me. And, and this is a truth. People don't realize this. They think that, um, that speakers and, and worship leaders and pastors, just uh, they're, they're, they're the same no matter the atmosphere. And it's not true. When there is an encouraging, life-giving, drawing atmosphere, it causes us to rise to the occasion. It causes us to be better. So you help when you say yes and when you're excited and when you get what God is doing and you, you're like, let's do it. It draws out of us 
um, not only our abilities, but it draws on an anointing that's in our lives. And I just want to say thank you for that. It was just, it was overwhelming supportive to have so many people say yes when I shared what was in my heart for the future and what, what I want to accomplish. And I'll talk about it a little bit more towards the end of the message. I know that God's going to build something week by week, month by month right now. Not everybody's going to hear it at the exact same moment. Not everybody is going to, to be at the same place in this. But this is what I do believe to be true. God has a way of bringing us all together. Just like on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place, one time, one spirit, one accord, the Bible says. That's what's going to happen in this. I just prophesy that to you right now. We will be together in one accord and move into what God has for our future. The best days for our church, and that means for your life, are in front of you, not behind you, not even next to you right now. They lie in front of you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans. I know the purpose. I know the future that I has for you, says the Lord. He's got incredible things for us. So just get ready. All right, uh, there's the preach before the preach. Okay, let me, let me begin this way. Um, not too, too long ago, um, I was on a trip with a buddy of mine. He's a pastor in northern Colorado at a church, uh, Res Church. Northern Colorado. Uh, it's a guy that um, I've been, it's a 30-year friendship, uh, almost 30 years uh, with this particular pastor. And he and I when, I, when I was at that church and on staff, he and I became fast friends. And then when the Lord called us here to Denver to plant Jubilee uh, 22 years ago, he and I uh, just, what we said to each other is that we have to be intentional, we have to be on purpose, and we need to prioritize our friendship Otherwise, that uh, 70 or 75 miles between here and there can, can, may as well be 7,500 miles uh, if you're not intentional about a friendship. So one of the things that we do, we both like to golf. So at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, we will just break away and we'll go play golf someplace. And we were doing that not too, too long ago uh, in, in Nevada in a little town called Mesquite. It's just a, it's a tiny little town but it's got like, um, I think it's nine or 10 golf courses in a town of about 30,000 people. It's just, it's incredible. And some of the nicest golf courses you've ever played in your life. And on our way in planning the trip and going to Nevada to go on this little golf vacation, someone had told us about a golf course, a Jack Nicholas, for those who know, a Jack Nicholas signature golf course, which is like the nicest golf course that he designs. Normally they're private, you can't even play them unless you're a member or you know a member. Uh, but this was a golf course that was designed uh, prior to the 2008 housing devastation where our economy just took a nosedive. They had built this golf course and they were going to develop it with houses and, a, and a whole, make a whole city out of this thing. It was really incredible. And right when they got the course built, uh, the economy tanked and they didn't put any houses. So what you have somewhere between Las Vegas and Mesquite in a little town called Moapa, uh, there's a name, Moapa, um, is this golf course in the middle. It's, it's almost spooky because there is nothing around it literally for miles and miles and miles. And when I say nothing, no gas stations, no houses, no, no, no you, when you're driving to it, you feel like I must have made a mistake because there's nothing out here. And all of a sudden, then you come across this incredible golf course in the middle of nowhere. And you actually think, how in the world can this place even survive out here in the middle of no place? It's just, it, it, it's really, um, it's amazing. 
So we had heard about this golf course. Uh, we had heard that you were able to play it. I actually called. I made the reservation. Um, and, and the guy told me, we're really difficult to find. And you're going to feel like you're in the middle of nowhere, but just keep going and you'll get there. So I took the coordinates that were given to me, punch it into the GPS of the car, and off we go. And we are driving and we are driving. And it is in the beginning of summertime. And you know that part of the country, man, it's hot. It was already 100 degrees at 8 o'clock in the morning. And just, it was baking. And we're driving and we're driving and we're driving. And we continue to drive and drive and drive. And, and that, you know, the little GPS has the voice that says, um, you know, your destination uh, will be on the left. But this one was like in 50 miles, 49. So we're counting, counting, drive forever. All of a sudden we pull up. And instead of a golf course, man, all that's there is the smallest, ugly trailer in the middle of nowhere that we pull up to. And it was so spooky. It was like one of those ones where I thought a, a guy with a hockey mask and a chainsaw is about to come out from behind this trailer and take my skin and make a lampshade out of it. It's going to be some kind of a weirdo deal. It was just freaky. And I, I get back in the car and I check the coordinates and the coordinates are saying, you've arrived at your destination, but there is nothing but this little beater trailer in the middle of the desert. If you know that area, it can, it's beautiful in one sense and it's as ugly as sin in another sense. And it was just kind of like weird. Where is the, where's the thing at? So long story short, here, here's what happened. We had a GPS that needed to be updated. It did not have the update on the inside of it. So the address and the coordinates that were given to it, it took us in the wrong direction. It took us so far away from where we were supposed to be. But bottom line, we were more than 75 miles in the wrong direction for where we needed to be. And I actually had to call the golf course and cancel and reschedule for the next day because we could have never made it there in time. We had driven and driven and driven. Moral of the story simply is this. Sometimes the things we rely on in our life to get us where we think we need to go, when it's not working, man, you need a course correction. A course correction. If you continue doing the thing that you're doing and it's not working, they say the height of insanity is to continue doing something expecting a different result from what you've been getting doing the same thing. If you and, and what you're doing and the direction you're going financially with your life, with your relationships, with your health, with, with whatever, if it's not working and you just continue to do the same thing thinking, okay, this time it's going to be different, that's insanity. And the insanity needs to stop. God has a better plan for your life and you need a course correction. There's nothing wrong with having enough humility to say we've gone in the wrong direction or this is no longer working or we're not achieving what we want to be achieving in life. So we need to back up and go in the right direction. So pastor, how does a course correction, how does this wind up a series on if money could talk? Because um, I want to broaden the idea that, that it's all about just if you get your finances right, everything else is right. I'm actually going to take the principle that I've been teaching from 2 Corinthians that God gives seed to the sower, and I'm going to show you that it's a much more broad definition, a much more broad understanding, and that if you apply this to all areas of your life, you can have the abundant life 
that Jesus talked about. So let me read it to you real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 10 and 11. This has been the text that I've used uh, for this series. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. Get that part. You got to remember it. God who supplies seed to the sower. So he supplies seed to you in order to sow. We've talked about that. If you don't set some of the seed aside to sow, if all you do is consume and eat and eat and eat, then no matter how much seed God gives to you, you will not be able to get the return that you want. The abundant life, listen, is in the return. It's in, it's in the reaping, in the harvest. If you don't plant, and it doesn't just have to be finances, if you don't plant health, you can't reap health. If you don't plant peace, you're not gonna reap peace. If you don't plant joy, you're not gonna have joy, right? It just, so get the idea. God gives seed. The seed can be whatever you wanna see a harvest in in your life. God gives seed to the sower. If you are only a consumer, you will consume all your seed and you'll never have something to get a reward with, a return with, a harvest with. So let me finish it. Now he, speaking of God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So what is he saying? He gives seed to the sower and if you begin to sow, if you'll get the principle in your life, it doesn't have to be 10%. It doesn't have to be uh, 20 relationships. It doesn't, it, if you'll just get the principle of sowing, the Bible says right here, God will begin to give you more seed to sow with. So when your prayer is, God, give me more, give me more. If it's because you're eating it all, I want to tell you right now, you're going to be limited on how much seed God will give you. But if you learn the principle of sowing, it's unlimited what God can do in your life. This principle changed everything for me. It changed everything for our church. It's changed everything. When someone applies this, you don't even have to be a believer. This works because it's a universal law that God put into effect. And then it goes on to say, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So here's where I want to take you today. Listen, here's my thought. There's a larger application for this scripture, for this idea, for this thought than finances only. As important as it is, and that is the context of this. He is talking about finances, but this is a truth where it can, seed doesn't just have to be money. Seed can be friendship. It can be joy. It can be health. It can be peace, whatever, right? You, you can use resource. That's probably a better understanding of it. Seed is resource. Whatever resource you have, if you will sow some of it, you can reap incredibly well in your life. So the larger application of this scripture and this idea is bigger than finances only. So let me show you a graph that we've been working off of for the last couple of weeks, but I've changed it to expand it to this idea. So take a look at this right here because it's really interesting. So in the past, what I had, last two messages, I had uh, this line here, right? Um, this, this bottom line, uh, as, as the line that you come up to and, and that you, you can decide if you want to live at the level or you go above the level. So I was teaching that when it comes to finances, if you live above your means, then you've mortgaged your future. If you go all the way up to, 
to your means, you're eating all of your seed. If you'll live below your means, right? If you won't spend, if you'll sow, then you begin to create margin is the word. So in between, here's your level of resource and resources, whatever. It can be uh, joy, it can be health, it can, whatever, whatever resource you have in your life, right? Here's consumption. You're gonna eat some of it. If you decide not to eat all of it, consume all of it and leave some to sow with, that's called margin, margin. The idea of margin is so important. So let me give you an example real quick. When it comes to, uh, to, to the idea of health, one of the things that God gave to believers was the Sabbath. The word Sabbath means rest. Rest is to create margin in your life. When you find people who are so stressed because they live so fast and they just pack their lives with more, 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 they have no margin. And when you have no margin, you have little joy. When you have no margin, you have little time. When you have no margin, you have little patience. Think about it. When you find parents who are unable to, to parent their children well, it's generally because they're so stressed. There's no margin in there. Sometimes the, most, the greatest gift that you can give to a mom or a dad raising little ones, give them the gift of time and watch the margin that it can, uh, it can create and give them space to be able to, to rest and to find joy and to, 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 to recoup themselves. So my point simply is this, that the area between resource and consumption, if you want to fill it in, it's called margin. So margins, that thing I want to talk about real quick. So let me just give you two, like I, I don't have time to teach on every, everything that's resource in your life, but I thought of these two things that I think are really important. So we've been teaching finances was one. Here's two more. Uh, I want to talk about time right now, the resource of time, right? We all have time. Here, here's the thought. We, we all know that uh, our time is, is not an unlimited supply, is it? Uh, you're born with a shelf life. You're born with a certain number of days. And none of us know what that number is, and that's actually a good thing. It's enough to know that it's not an unlimited resource, but it would actually be too much of a burden if you knew, I've only got 15 days left. I've only got, you know, 500 days left. I've only got 2,000 days left. Because you'd count them down, and instead of living fully, you'd be worried about it. So it's actually the blessing of God that you don't know exactly how much time you have, but you do know that time is a limited resource. Uh, Pastor Terry, he's used up a lot of his resource already. Yes, okay. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Terry loves me and I love him. And he made fun of my hair a little while ago and that's a payback is what that is. So the resource of time, Psalms 90 verse 12. Look at this right here. Um, the, the writer says, look at this neat, neat understanding of time. Teach us, speaking to the Lord, teach us to number our days. Why? So that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So here's, here's what the writer is saying. Teach us to live with the understanding that time is a limited resource. If you treat your life like it's an unlimited resource of time, then you will waste your life. And, you will, and then when it dawns on you finally that you're out of time, you'll try to make up in, 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 a, in what? Six months, 
five years, 10 years. Think of people that work their whole life with the idea that I'm saving all of my money. I work my whole life to retire and have 10 years of fun. Can I just say to you, I get the principle of why, why you save and why you work up to a certain point, but how silly is it to not take a vacation, to not enjoy this world, to not enjoy your friends, to not enjoy what God's given you because you're waiting to live your whole life over 10 years. And then I've got a pastor friend that was here in Highlands Ranch that he worked his whole life, started a church here, pastored a church, tremendously large church, blessed church, gifted church, has done so much. He worked his whole life, retired, moved to Arizona, and the first year in his retirement, he's jogging, has a heart attack, and his life is over on this earth. My point simply is, when you, when you spend all of it to get to this point, to live in this little thing, that's not using time in the most effective way, in the most joyful way. And of course, we have no control over those things, right? That's why it's important. That's why the writer says, teach us to number our days, to live with a cognizant thought that this is not an unlimited resource and I need to make the time count, the resource of time. Here, here's some of the words. When you, when you are hearing someone, or maybe you, when you talk about time, here are the words that people use to describe what they do with time. They spend time. They waste time. They give time. Some people do time. Some people pass time. Some people invest time. All of these words give a different indication and understanding of how people see time. If you're a person who wastes time, then your opinion is you have an unlimited amount. And friend, I'm gonna tell you right now, that one of the most precious resources you have is time. <clears throat> and it's limited. It's very limited. None of us know how much time we have. If it's an average, 72 years, 80 years, right? We all think, oh, that's what I'll get. You never know what you're going to get. It's a limited resource, and it goes by very fast. You have a finite amount of time. You don't know exactly how much you have. Have you ever said this? I wish I had more time. I, I wish I had more time. So, so let me give you a principle here. Just like with finances, God gives seed to the sower, not to the consumer. So let me give you a principle real quick. If you have not learned the principle of numbering your days so that you're making the most of your time, right? Right? Then I'm telling you, man, you'll have a life that just goes by without without the benefit of accomplishment, without the benefit of feeling like I've done well with it, I've, I, I, I've honored God with it, I've built something with it. So listen to me real quick. There's a principle here. What did you do with your time during the last 90 days? Because if you've ever said, I wish I had more time, the one good thing about what we just came through, still going through to an extent, is that we were all given more time to do more at home. What did you do with your time? If you were like, I watched Netflix for 90 days. Ah, and I bet you're saying, I wish I had more time. It, it's, it, look, Chris and I watched a couple of things on Netflix too. And the most wonderful thing was being able to sit with the woman who's everything to me and to, to have that 
time with her. But I didn't spend all of my time playing video games and watching television. Man, I made the most of my time in planning for how we're going to come out of this, what the future looks like, spending my time continuing to pastor people, develop people, continuing to, to plan out our church and to watch over our church, to invest in friendships, to, to, to care for pastors, to take care of myself too. You've got to plan and you've got to invest and you've got to recognize, number your days. And if you don't have the principle in your life that you've learned to number your days, then you waste time and you'll always be saying, I wish I had more time. You do have time, but you probably are completely oblivious to what you're doing with it. And you are a time waster, not a time investor. The line, the line of time, uh, the level of it, and planning is called margin. Um, Haley, pull that back up again, if you will. <clears throat> I know I'm throwing a curveball at you. Yeah. So if we use this little graph real quick, resource, in this case, is time. You could write time right there. Consumption is how you spend your time. If you waste it, then you're coming all the way up to here, and you're misusing your time. Your understanding that a resource of time and how you live your life, you're allowed to use your time any way you want to. But if all you do is waste it, you consume all of your resource, you have no margin, and therefore I bet you feel like either stressed, I bet you feel like uh, depressed, I bet you feel uh, as though there's no purpose to living, or you're looking for purpose. Why won't God do something in my life to give me purpose. Do you recognize God could be yelling at you? I've got purpose for your life. But if you don't number your days and learn to use your time, even God can't make something happen for you that you won't say yes to. You've got to say yes and participate in it. Let me give you a secret to the resource of time. It's priority. I'm going to fill in that blank. Priority, the secret of priority. So let me talk about priority real quick. For those of you who have been around Jubilee for any length of time, um, I don't remember how, how many years ago it was, but I had seen this illustration. So I did a physical one. And if you were here, maybe you remember this. I took those great big glass jars. I think they were like five gallon glass jars. And I put them up here in front of the church and I took great big rocks and I filled up the five-gallon glass jars with the great big rocks all the way to the top. And then I just asked the people in the church, I said, is this full? The people said, yes, it's full. So then I took gravel and I dumped a bunch of gravel in and the gravel was smaller than the big rocks. So it filled all the way around and I shook it and I kept putting gravel and shake it. And it was amazing how much gravel I got into a container that everybody said was full. And once I got all the gravel in there, got it all the way to the top, then I asked the question, is it full? And everybody said, undoubtedly, now it's full. And then I took sand and I put sand in it and shook the, 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 the glass container and the sand filtered down around the gravel and I got quite a bit of sand in it. And then I asked, is it now full? Everybody's like, you can't get anything else in there. And then I took water and I poured water in it and the water being smaller molecules than the sand and the pebbles and the rocks, it was able to filter in down and got it, although it was amazing how much water I was able to fit in there. And then finally, yeah, it was, it was full. And I demonstrated all these things I was able to put into it. And I said, okay, now look, here's, here's what this represents. This glass is your life, and all the things we put in it is how you spend your time. So what does this mean? 
And someone said to me, no matter how much you do, there's always room to do one more thing. Wrong. Wrong. What it means is this. If you don't get the big things in your life first, you can't fit them in later. Because all the little annoying stuff gets in the way. That's the secret of priority. The big things that need to be in your life make all of the difference. Your relationship with God is supposed to have first place. The first thing you put into your life, the first priority of your life is your relationship with God. That means he gets the first part of your time, the first part of your money, the first part of your energy, the first part of your excitement, the first part of your worship. We all worship something. Even people in this world who don't know God, don't believe he exists, they worship something. Every human was created with the capacity, the need, and the desire to worship. People just don't realize. They'll worship other people. They'll worship cars. They'll worship money. They'll worship houses. They'll worship governments. They'll worship vacations. They'll, they'll worship sex. They'll worship drugs. They'll worship alcohol. They'll worship something. People who get their priorities right, who know how to number their days, they put God as the first priority of their life. Then what other things take priority? You get to decide. For me, the next big thing in my life, right, would be my wife. The next big thing after that, my children and my family. The next thing after that is my church. My church is not the first or second or third priority of my life. As important as this is, and it does come in sometimes in first place because an act of worship to God is how I pastor this church. But those things are priorities. So automatically, I've only got limited amount of time left to do all of the other things. I love to play golf. How many times a month do I play golf? Maybe twice. And here's the benefit of wealth. Wealth allows you to do more leisure activities. And if you have wealth, then you may say, well, I play golf a lot more than that. That doesn't mean your priorities are whacked out. It means you have more leisure time that you can use. But do you have the big, if golf is the biggest priority in your life, I believe you've made a mistake. If money is the biggest priority in your life, I believe you've made a mistake. Now, I've said in this series all along, money is not the meaning of life, but it can bring meaning to life, right? It can help, uh, can bring meaning. It's not the meaning, but can bring meaning. It can help to, to, uh, <clears throat> to, give, to give fun things and joyful things, and it can be helpful for things, but it's not the meaning. And if that's your priority for living, you've made a tragic mistake. In, in, into that thing of the big rocks and priority are the friendships that I have and the relationships that I have. Those take a high priority over everything else. So, so uh, I'll tell you one of the ways that it manifests for me. Um, <clears throat> I, I, not everybody likes how I teach. Not everybody <laughs> likes my personality. But enough people like it that I get invitations to go teach different places and speak at a conference and speak at a church. I just had a, a church in Jacksonville, Florida this week, yesterday, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> excuse me, give me an invitation to come speak. I can't say yes to the invitation because it would require me right now to take away time from my priorities. My priorities right now, right, 
are making sure that our church is taken care of. It's easy when you have priorities in place, listen, to know what to say yes to and to know what to say no to. And if you struggle with saying yes to everything, here's what the real issue is. You haven't organized your priorities right. That's what the real issue is. Because once you know what your priorities are, you know how to say yes and no without having to ask anybody else. As flattering as it was, as much as I would love to get the extra income by going and speaking, and I've spoke there before, and they take great care of me. It just can't do it right now because it doesn't fit into the priorities that I have to serve first and foremost. It's just easy, right? Don't have to think about it. Had to say no and maybe another time. Who knows? But it's not the thing that I live for, right? The things that I live for are the priorities that I put in my life. And those priorities are, man, they're spectacularly important to me. The relationships that I have here mean more to me than I, I, I can't even describe them to you. So the secret of using the resource of time well, that margin, that's called priority. If you will number your days, that means put in the right priority, the things that are important so you know how to spend your time, you will develop and create a life that's worth living. A li it doesn't mean you don't have problems. It doesn't mean that you don't go through hard times. It doesn't mean that you don't experience things that aren't fun, but it does mean over the long <laughs> the race that we're all running, right? Over the long race that we're all running, you'll win the race. And you'll leave behind something and you'll be something to people that outlives you. And people that can't do that, man, the Bible compares them to grass that springs up and then withers and is gone. And nobody remembers. That's a sad state right there. Let me give you the second one just to, to keep moving. The resource of health. Remember, I can't, I, I can't take this scripture and what I'm trying to teach and talk about every resource you've been. I'm just giving two big ones. The resource of time, the resource of health. This one's close to me because I lived my whole life thinking um, bad health could never happen to me. I was just always a healthy person. I never went to the doctor. Other than breaking my arm in the 10th grade, I, I've never had an operation. I've never, I, I just, I've been a healthy person until I turned 52. And at 52 out of the blue, if you know my story, a heart attack caught me by surprise. And so the idea of health has become important to me. I always liked the idea of health. I always wanted to be healthy but I didn't pay attention. I took my health for granted, like you can take money for granted or time for granted, and when you take it for granted, you misuse it. So I'd eat anything that I'd want to. And if I exercised, good, and if I didn't, who cares? And I didn't rest, and I took on stress more and more and more. And my body always cooperated with me, and it always came through for me. And when that happens, you tend to just think, those things could never happen. Feel sorry for someone else it happens to, but you tend to think that cliche, this could never happen to me until it does. And some of you right now, I'm saying this to you, and I was you. I'm gonna say it, and you can't hear me. You, yeah, you hear the words, and you hear the tone, but you don't hear me. And the reason you don't hear me is because you take it for granted. It's not a priority. And so it just bounces off of your forehead, hits the ground, and you'll forget about it in the next 10 seconds. You won't even think about it again. Let me tell you when you will think about it. When it's taken from you, you'll think about it. When you realize that, man, you can't take it for granted and that your, your ability to be here for your wife or your husband or your children or your grandchildren or your 
place that you work, that you've invested in, your friends, when you realize that's all going to go away if something doesn't change here and it matters to you, you'll think about it. The resource of health is a very important resource. Proverbs 3.2, the writer of Proverbs wrote these really wise words. Um, He's saying, if you will serve God, that's the do this. So if you will serve God, look what it says. You will live many years and your life will be satisfying. So there's not very many people in our room as I record right now, but let me ask you the question. How many of you would love to have a satisfying life? How many of you would like to have a dissatisfying life? Nobody, nobody wants a dip. Nobody ever wakes up in the morning and goes, how can I screw my life up today? Nobody ever thinks, how how can I mess it up so bad and have it all taken away from me? We never think that. And then when it happens, we're like, how did this happen to me? And we blame the devil, we blame the economy, we blame the president, we blame the Congress, we blame our parents, we blame our spouse. Sometimes, this is gonna be, this is, uh, okay, Sometimes the devil is not your worst enemy. You're your worst enemy. You're not thinking about what you're doing. You're taking things for granted. You're not using wisdom. I don't, I'm not being ugly. I'm your pastor. My name's John and I love you. And I'm here to help you. Listen to me for a second. The resource of health is so important. The Proverbs writer tells us, man, that those who serve the Lord, that keep his commandments, God says you'll live a long time and you'll have a blessed life, a blessed life. And it's easy to take health for granted. Here's what I know. God designed your body to be resilient. That's a wonderful thing, but it's only resilient to a point. You are human. You push it too far, you'll have a breakdown. Uh, we, Chris had a car that, that uh, one of the tires got out of balance, and it would make this whoop, 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 whoop. And the faster you went, whoop, 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 and it was just so loud. And so when she, she and it was her car, She'd drive it down the high. It wouldn't happen at low speeds. It would happen at high speeds. And I was riding in her car one day, and it was the steering wheel shaking. And the, I'm like, honey, how long has this been going on? I, I don't, six months, eight months? I said, well, what do you do about it? I turned the radio up louder. Ah, that's not good. That living, living and driving a car that way is going to result in a blowout. When you have a blowout emotionally, when you crash physically, when relationships, when relationships come apart and break your heart. Is it serious enough now? That little noise that's going on there is the signal that something's wrong. Somebody's complaining. Uh, someone is, is saying, hey, we need to take care of this. There's always a noise. I don't know what the noise is, but there's always a noise before the blowout. And if your way to handle the noise is that you just turn it up louder so that you don't hear it, it doesn't fix the problem. And if all I am right now is a noise, this is a warning. It's a noise right now. Don't turn me off and turn me away and say, you don't know or I don't like this. Listen, I'm trying to keep you from a breakdown, a blowout, a mess up. The cliche of, it can never happen to me. (laughs) Listen, we all feel invincible until we're not. Here's what's out of your control. 
that I'll tell you, you can't do anything about these things. You can't do anything about genetics, so don't worry about it. You can't do anything about things in life, like certain people. You can't control their decisions. You can't control disease, like this big disease right now that we're dealing with. You can't do anything about it, except try to maybe stay away from it, right? But it's not going away. You're gonna have to deal with it at some level. You can't do anything about events that happen in other parts of the world or in Washington or down at the Capitol or, or at another church or uh, at your business. Some things in life are out of your control. Don't worry about any of those things. In fact, learn not to worry about things that you can't control, but do something about the things that you can control. What can you control when it comes to your health? What you eat, how you exercise, what you do with stress. My big thing in this is that I took on stress for so long. I just added, I would just wake up and go, okay, I'll take it on. I'll handle it. I'll shoulder it. And look, any one thing was not the problem, but add them all together and it weighs you down, man. You go long enough when the Bible warns you, you need to rest. You need to let things go. You need to forgive. You need to have a clean heart, clean hands. You, you, you need to take care. The Bible over and over again warns us, encourages us, and tells us to live with health. When you violate it, it doesn't catch you in the first week, the first year, the first decade. But at some point, man, when you violate the red line, it will catch you. And when you eat up all of your resource, so that, that, that line again, the resource would be health. Consumption is how you take care of your health. And if you don't leave margin in between the two, you have a loss of health. Let me just close it out here. The real truth about abundant life. I want you to think about this. I think probably the number one scripture in 22 years. I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I think it's true. Probably the number one scripture that I'm always referring back to, kind of, it's kind of like a, a life scripture for our church. I'm always trying to get this into people's hearts and in their minds and, and get them to live this. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief only comes, right? He has no other purpose except to steal, kill, destroy. That's the, the devil has nothing else that he does except those three things right there. But then Jesus says, but I come to give you life and not just any life, but the abundant life. Because here's my question. Follow me on this. How does abundant life happen? Terry, how does it happen? Mariah, how does it happen? Right? Jay, Isaac, Donnie, how, how does it happen? Camille, how does abundant life? Chris, how does abundant life happen? Is, is abundant life God just being good to us so he wakes up one day and goes, okay, I pronounce abundant life over you and you're just like driving your car or getting ready uh, to eat breakfast or getting ready to go to bed. And God's like, okay, now you can have abundant life. And suddenly, wherever you are, boom, it's like the, the heavens are, whoo, and you have abundant life. Is that how it happens? Because so many of us think abundant life is some miracle that God does for us. And, and if he'd just do the miracle, I'd have abundant life. So I'm, I'm gonna argue that point right now. Jesus said, I came so that you could have abundant life. Jesus has already brought abundant life with him to the earth. It already belongs to you. So why wouldn't you have abundant life right now? I think abundant life, Haley, pull it up. Let me show you what I think here. Okay, right here, this is abundant life. Look real quick, pay attention. Margin is abundant life. If you're like, I have no abundant life, I bet you don't have margin. I bet you don't have margin. So what is margin? 
Margin is that place where you're able to listen to God and do what he tells you to do. So when I share last week about the future and how I see things going for us and that this building has been great, but it's so insufficient. It got us in. We have used it to the max. But man, we can't have the meetings we want to have. We can't pray for people like we want to pray. We, we can't see healing uh, manifested in, in ways. We can't teach uh, 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 conferences. We, we, we can't have the kind of worship things that we want to do. We, 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 there's so much more that God has. And when I say that, I, if you're the one, that, if you're hearing me, when I say it and you're like, yes, pastor, I'm with you. I believe that the greatest days of the church are in front of us, that we want to participate in that. But you have no margin. You have no health. You have no money. You have no time. Listen to me. Then you can cheer for me, but you won't participate in the abundant life. Ah, and then you, nothing is worse for a believer than to be on the sidelines watching everyone else around them experience abundant life, to see God do the miraculous and the fullness. And you're standing there like, what? Doesn't God like me? Doesn't God want to bless me? Doesn't God care for me? And I'm telling you, <laughs> Jesus brought abundant life. You've got to make decisions. Number your days. <laughs> prioritize your health, your time, your relationships. Do what God told you to do with finances. Create the place of margin. Margin is where you find abundant life. And if all you're doing is praying, oh God, why won't you bless me? Friend, you've been deceived. You are deceived. The, the devil's Pull, there's deceit over your eyes. There's scales there. And no matter what I say, I, we've got to have a breakthrough because if you're just like, why won't God bless me? He has blessed you. Jesus stands fully as the proof that God has blessed you. He brought abundant life with him and abundant life is available to you. But as long as the enemy keeps you in the place of not developing the principle of that margin for the resource that God's given you, You'll stand there, so you'll go to heaven. Do not misunderstand me. This is not, by having margin, that doesn't get you into heaven. Margin is the abundant life that you live here and now. But heaven, that's the work of Jesus. But abundant life, that's the thing that you can enter into if you'll do what God told you to do. All right, I wind our series up at this point just on that important issue right there. Trying to teach that Jesus has brought abundant life, it belongs to you, but you're, you're in a place of having to choose whether you want to walk into it or you want to stay on the outside of it. And I know you say, Pastor, I would go into it in a second if I could. Friend, you've got to get the principle of margin in your life. Start with something. Give God the first part of your day starting tomorrow morning. Give God the first part of your money. If you're like, well, my money's already spoken for. Give him something to work with. But prioritize the relationships that are in your life. If you're like, I don't know what that means. Give them the place that they both. Don't let the other things be as important as the most important things. And that's the place to start and start with your relationship with God. Friend, listen to me. Man, the future is so wide open and so full of promise and joy and life. This world is not over. This world is not beaten. We are not done. Our best days are in front of us. And if you believe that to be true, but feel like, oh, I'm locked out of it, come on, come on.
So Father, in Jesus' name, I just cry out to you right now for your goodness and your mercy and your truth to speak. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So Father, make us free right now. God, instead of hating truth, instead of pushing it away, instead of denying it, instead of saying, uh, I, I just can't deal with it, God, teach us right now to say yes to your principles, yes to your work, yes to what you're doing. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Your kindness right now teaches us to, to, to make the most of the resource that we've been given, to prioritize in our life, and, and, and to give a place for you to be able to do what you want to do with abundant life. God, we say yes. And I just thank you right now for hearing our prayer. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.